Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 32. And as you turn that, I'm going to ask Pastor Marissa and Josh and Jade uh, to come up here. We're going to make a very, very special, very cool announcement. So we'll kind of give you some context for the last, I guess about a year and a half, me and Pastor Marissa and Toya have been in these conversations about just her gifting. So about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, um, some giftings that were inside of Pastor Marissa started coming up to the service. And one of those was a prophetic gifting. She has a strong, strong prophetic gift, uh, not just for kids ministry, but for the church as a whole, and I believe not even just this church, but the capital C church as a whole. And so we prayed through that and kind of trying to figure out what that looked like, and our leadership gifts and, and, and blessings have been rising to the top as well. And so we've been praying about this for about a year and a half, and so we've made a, making a change in our leadership structure of the church. So one of the things we've done, we've added a directional leadership team uh, in order to help me lead better and care for our staff better. And so she's going to be basically heading up that team, her and Pastor Dylan. And so her role is changing from being actively involved in the day-to-day the, the -day Sunday morning kids' ministry to overseeing kids' ministry, but also overseeing the operations of our church and our future prayer ministry endeavors and it releasing her prophetic gifting into this church as a whole. And I believe it's for such a time as this that that has come to the surface. And so in order for that to happen, we've been praying about who can step in and kind of and run our elementary-age kids week-to-week. -week. And our goals for our kids' ministry is not just to, to give kids a bunch of candy, get them sugared up, and then release them to you as you leave church. Our goal, first and foremost, is safety. We've spent a lot of money to change our facilities to increase the safety for our kids. And so safety is primary number one. Number two is we want it to be a growth or discipleship environment where kids are learning the gospel, we're planting the gospel into their hearts, we're, we're creating fertile soil, we're praying over them, they're learning God's word, and it's a growth environment where we're trying to disciple young people because there is no age demographics for disciples. It's either you're a disciple or you're not. So trying to disciple them. And three, create an environment where it's fun all at the same time. And so we've been praying about this, me and Pastor Marissa, for a while and looking at who, who God would bring into this body for that purpose. And so we don't believe that you make a position. We believe you recognize God's hand on somebody's life. And so when you recognize God's hand on somebody's life, you'll see that God is wanting to use them in this season and at this place. And so we recognize Josh and Jade as God's hand being upon their life and him, the giftings inside of them to do those things, to create an environment that is safe, an environment that is growth-oriented, discipleship-oriented, but also a fun environment. And so we're going to introduce them to you today, but first I'm going to hand it to Pastor Marissa. I'm excited because um, I know that God is doing incredible things in our church, but in our kids' ministry as well today. Um, Josh and Jade are incredible, and um, I've been spending a lot of time with them, and I'm just looking forward to what God is going to do in and through them, but also for our kids um, and for you guys as families. And so at Chapel Kids, we believe that um, we want kids to know who God is, not just with their head, but also with their heart, with everything that they know who God is, um, so they can grow to be more like Him and that's a discipleship component. And then they can go out and share God's love with other people. And I believe that 
Josh and Jade are the next ones as they come in and kind of see the week-to-week things and spend time with our families. I believe that they're going to continue to instill that in our kids because I think it's important to build a foundation when they're young so that way as they grow older that they know exactly who God is. They're wanting to grow in their relationship with him, and then they're going out and sharing his love with everyone wherever they meet, whatever they have going on. And so I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in them, um, and I know that they're going to do an incredible job. And as you come through and as you start seeing them for you, for you guys that come in the back, um, make sure you say hi to them, get to know them. They're awesome. If you know them, it's our, you already know how cool they are. If you don't yet know them, um, make sure you stop and get to know them because they are really cool. You want to be, uh, be a part of that. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to let them share uh, real quick just a couple of things as uh, we get moving and uh, head back to kids ministry. But here you go. All right, everybody, I'm going to be preaching to you this morning. All right. Now, so we're in meeting this morning. Pastor Bobby looks at me. He says, you got about a minute. I'm the sermon giver here. No, I'm kidding. Um, Now, we are extremely excited uh, to be here to be serving uh, at chapel. We've been uh, a year and a couple odd months uh, we've been here. Um, And when we came, we were just really looking for what we have here. This is exactly what we were looking for. And the way that you guys have made us feel uh, just loved and, and accepted and um, just the spirit of God that just moves in this house and, and, and through its people. Uh, it's beautiful. And uh, we're just so thankful. Uh, we were sitting... We were sitting in this section uh, one seat night, and I think this was back in, I I don't know when it was. Um, It was a seat night, and it was a good seat night. If you don't come to seek, I know we're going to be cranking up seek soon. Please, uh, please come. Um, But we were sitting in this section, and I just felt God, you know, just speak to me uh, in a moment, and he said, you're going to, next church that you serve at is going to be here, all right? And I told Pastor Marissa this um, when, we were, when we were meeting and we are talking over some things. And uh, so be careful if you sit in this section. God will speak to you, okay? All right? <laughs> Can I, I got hands waving over here. Everybody excited now, all right? Everybody going to be sitting in this section next week, all right? Uh, but we are honored uh, just to be serving you guys, serving your family, serving your children, uh, speaking life into them, empowering them uh, just with the spirit of God, with the word of God. Um, and I need to move on or we're going to end up in the red letters or the red numbers at the end of service. But I'm thankful, so thankful. Thank you guys. Um, we love you already. And I'm going to looking very forward to getting to know everyone. All right. Thank you. Give him a hand. And if you would, just reach your hands. Y'all stay up here. We're going to pray. We're going to pray over you real quick. If you would just reach your hands towards them, we just pray uh, for them. Father, we thank you for the gifts you bring into your house, into your body. We thank you for Josh. We thank you for Jade. We thank you for their family. We just pray during this season, Father, you equip them with everything they need 
to walk out your will and your purpose. We pray for all the kids' lives are going to touch. The gospel seeds are going to be planted and come to fruition in these children. And, Father, for the lifelong decisions that are going to be made to follow you in these kids' lives. Father, we pray you empower them with your Holy Spirit. Give them revelation of your word. Give them insight. Allow for their gifts to come to the surface and be released into this ministry. Father, protect them mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally from every attack of the enemy. And allow for them to walk out your purpose here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Give them one big hand. We're out of applause again. We start a new series today called Name Calling. And so I believe this series is vitally important. If there's one thing I could preach on every single Sunday, it'd be on your identity in Christ. And years ago, back in the early 1980s, there was a book by Peter Lord called Turkeys and Eagles. And in this book, it feels like God gave him this dream, and this dream was a vision that was for the church. And in the dream, he saw two little eaglets in this nest. If you know anything about an eagle's nest, they're really high up in a cliff or a ravine. and They're being fed by their mom, you know, worms and, and meat and kind of things like that. Well, one day, the mom eagle and the daddy eagle flew off to go soar. And as they flew off, the two little eaglets, their names were Tom and Jerome, not Tom and Jerry, but Tom and Jerome, fell out of the nest onto the ground. And so they wandered. They'd never flown before. They'd never been outside the nest before. So they wandered around screaming out for mommy and daddy. They couldn't find mommy and daddy. And finally, a hen had come by. A turkey hen had come by and found Tom and Jerome scurrying across the floor of the forest. She asked them what was wrong, so they said, we can't find our mommy and daddy. So this mother hen started trying to help them find their mommy and daddy. And as the sun started going down, they could never find mommy and daddy. So she had never had any babies of her own, so she started raising Tom and Jerome as little baby turkeys. So they're wandering around now, month after month, now year after year, as eagles living as turkeys. They began to eat grubs and worms and things that turkeys would eat. And one day they're in a cow field and there's cow pastures. I didn't know this, but turkeys dig through cow pastures, cow patties for worms and seeds and things that are fertilized. And so you have these two eagles who their mom and dad are flying above the sky, soaring, eating meat, because we know all God's creatures should eat meat, especially coming out of 21 days of fasting. Bunions, so I can go down the line. Mom and daddy are flying above. Now you have these two eaglets, Tom and Jerome, who are literally digging through cow manure. They look up and they see the manure covering their beak. And Tom says, do you think we should eat meat? And Jerome says, we're turkeys. Turkeys don't eat meat. We've always been a turkey. We're never going to be anything else but a turkey. Our mom is a turkey because they didn't realize who their mom or dad was because they were adopted at such a young age. The mom and dad are turkeys. We're always going to be turkeys. Turkeys don't eat meat. Turkeys eat cow patties. So Tom is frustrated. Finally, one day they see, and he sees this eagle flying in the sky. And Tom says, don't you think we should fly up in the sky? And Jerome says, we do fly. Turkeys fly. But if you know turkeys, turkeys just flap their wings, they fly 50 feet here. One day I was back when we were in Nashville, 10 years ago, I was driving, and this turkey literally flew across the windshield of my car where I could not see. And I'm on the phone with Toya, and I was like, babe, this turkey just flew right in front of me. She said, turkeys don't fly. <laughs> That's what Jerome was telling Tom. He's like, turkeys, we fly, we just fly. He said, no, I want to soar. And so Tom is starting to realize there's something in him that's greater than where he's living at. 
And as the story keeps unfolding, finally this old wise owl was in the forest. And, and Tom is just frustrated because he realizes he's not living up to this potential that's deep inside of him. And the old owl says, the reason is because you're not a turkey, you're an eagle. And Jerome says, you're a crazy old owl. We're not eagles, we're turkeys. My mama was a turkey. My daddy was a turkey. We've always been turkeys. We're always going to be turkeys. The old, wild, old owl says, listen, I've been in this force a long time. I know a turkey when I see one, and you're not a turkey. They never fit in with the turkeys, yet they were wandering with the turkeys. And finally, one day, Jerome, something just hit him after the wise old owl had mentioned this to him. He started realizing there was more that he wanted that he couldn't tap into. And one day, he took a running start and opened up his wings, and he began to fly. He went higher and higher and higher. And he started to soar. Then he saw a little rabbit on the ground. He swooped down and ate that rabbit up with some good old barbecue sauce. <laughs> and he flies back down to Jerome. He said, Jerome, Jerome, we're not turkeys. We're eagles. He says, we're not eagles. We're turkeys. My mama was a turkey. My daddy was a turkey. I've always been a turkey. You're always going to be a turkey. He said, I ate meat and I liked it. He said, you're not a meat eater, you're a turkey. He said, I flew and I soared and I liked it. He says, I've always been a turkey. My mama was a turkey. My daddy was a turkey. We're always going to be turkeys. Jerome says, I'm not a turkey anymore. I'm an eagle. See, so many people live below the potential they have in Christ because they believe the lies that they aren't who they think they are. And there's potential deep down inside of you that cries out from your spirit that there's more, that there's greater potential inside of you than you've experienced. And God has created you as an eagle, but you're living as a turkey. He created you to soar, yet you're scoping around on the ground, walking around turkeys that are trying to hold you back and prevent you from being who God has called you to be. See, God has placed in you eternity. He has placed in you the image of God. He's placed in you potential that you have yet to realize yet. And when you tap into that potential, when you realize who God made you out to be, you'll walk in your destiny once you realize your identity. If you would stand to your feet as we read Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22 together. It says this way. This is Jacob. And he says, he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Everybody say alone. You know, God can do some amazing things to you when you're alone. When no one else is telling you you're a turkey anymore. When no one is telling you what you can't do anymore. When no one's telling you who you think you should be and who you shouldn't be. When you're alone, God can start to speak. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. This Jacob, like he's asking God. Most people believe this is God he's wrestling with. He asked God to bless him. 
And the blessing he receives is not what I think the blessing he was asking for. So when he was wrestling with God, he says, I just want you to bless me. He didn't give him riches. He didn't give him power. He didn't give him promises. He gave him a new identity. Because the greatest blessing you can have is not a new car, not a new job, not a new promise, not a new husband or a new wife. The greatest blessing you can have is a new identity. Because when you discover your identity, you'll discover your destiny. Jacob had been running most of his life. And he finds himself all alone. Because here's what I've learned about my own self, and I think you'll learn at some point in your own life. is that you can't run fast enough, and you can't run far enough away to get away from yourself. And Jacob had been running and running and running, and this encounter by himself, all alone, when he'd been trying to outrun enemies and his past and his failures, all of a sudden he comes to this moment where God asks him, what is your name? And he's still the same person he was trying to run away from. And finally God says, no, 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 that's not who you are. Here's your new identity in Christ. Father, we thank you that you're a God, even as Pastor Anthony said, you don't fix things up. You don't try to fix up our past. You give us a new destiny that takes us in a new direction. And Father, under the sound of my voice, I pray right now that every mind is awakened, every heart is stirred, and every spirit is renewed. And Father, I pray that you break the Jacob identity over every single person in this room. And I pray for Israel to rise up, the new identity in Christ in every mind and every heart and every spirit in this place. Father, let us walk into our identities and walk out our destinies. Let us stop walking as turkeys and start flying as eagles. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. See, Jacob is in a predicament. Jacob had struggled, struggling with disbelief that he had the promise of his father, Isaac, his grandfather, Abraham, a promise to be the father of many, many nations. But I think after you've fallen so many times and failed so many times before, you start to disbelieve the things God has promised you. And he's at this place of disbelief. He's at a place of struggle where he's struggling with, with his identity. He's struggling with trying to prove himself. And for his entire life, he's tried to make a name for himself and try to make a way for himself. And it all keeps falling apart and catching back up with him. He was at a point of disbelief and maybe God's not real. Maybe God gave a promise to my father, but maybe he's not as real to me. Maybe you're in that position. Maybe you're struggling between who you feel like you are and what God says you are. Maybe you're in disbelief that the promises of God may be for other people, but may not be for you. Maybe you're, you're frustrated that you've been trying your whole life to make a name for yourself, only to find out you haven't made a very good name. You've been trying your whole life to make a way for yourself and make your promises, your purpose, your ways, your will come through only to find out it's led to disaster over and over and over again. That's where Jacob finds himself, in this place of frustration, this place of disbelief, this place of running away, this place of always trying to start over again and realizing he never gets a fresh start. See, and here's what God was trying to tell him, is that everything changes when you begin to correctly see yourself the way God sees you. Everything changes. Touch your neighbor and say everything. Don't touch them. You may get the coronavirus. Just kind of like <laughs> nod at them a little bit. 
Everything changes when you begin to correctly see yourself the way God sees you. See, see the tension, the struggle for us as believers is this, is this tension between seeing myself the way God sees me and seeing myself the way I see me. Seeing myself the way God sees me as an eagle, but feeling like a turkey. And it creates this tension or this struggle inside of me that creates this war that's going on all around me. Because in the scripture, Jacob has two names. He has the name Jacob and he has the name Israel. One is an earthly name, one is a heavenly name. Do you realize you have a name on earth? Whatever it may be, John, Bobby, Robert, Joseph, Jesus, Roberto, Jerome, whatever your name, you have an earthly name, a name people on earth gave you, the name a father on earth gave you, but you also have a name in heaven. God tells Jacob in the scripture, he said, I know they call you Jacob, but I call you Israel. I know what they call you, but this is what I call you. And see, you'll fight your entire life between those two things. And when you discover what your name is in heaven, then and only then will you live up to your heavenly potential. And until you know what your heavenly name is, you're going to keep living like a turkey. Once you discover who you are in Christ, it will change everything else about you. So point number one, our identity is how we see ourselves and who we see ourselves and how we experience ourselves to be. Meaning my identity is how I see myself or what I've experienced myself to be. Meaning, how do you see yourself? And then maybe, how have you experienced yourself to be? See, Jacob, his name was Jacob. And, and to really understand what that means, you have to realize Jacob was born to Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham, the father of many nations. And he was born, God promised Isaac he'd have a child, it would be twins. And he had a brother named Esau, his twin brother. As Esau's coming out the womb, Jacob literally grabs a hold of his brother's heel from inside the womb and tries to pull his brother back so he could be first. And so they named Esau, his brother who's the first one out, they named him Esau, which means hairy. They said Esau was so hairy, hair all over his skin, that he almost looked like a bear as a baby. Could you imagine going to the nursery? You just have a newborn baby? Hey, I want Hey, I want you to see my baby. Well, where's your baby at? Oh, he's right there. That's, that's not a human. That's a bear. <laughs> and what kind of parents name their child? What are we going to name our kid? You know, John or Abraham or I? Let's just call this one Harry. Like they're identifying him by his traits. So Jacob comes out and Jacob, what are we going to name this one? This one's Harry. What do we name this one? Well, since he was trying to pull his brother back in, let's call him Jacob, which means conniver or deceiver or con man. He was labeled at the moment of his birth. They labeled him a con man as soon as he was born. And so his name was actually describing his failures. So time moves forward. He begins to steal his brother Esau's birthright. For in Hebrew culture, the firstborn got twice as much of an inheritance as the other children. So Esau was hungry one day, and, and Jacob wanted to steal his birthright. So he basically sold him his birthright for a bowl of soup. And then when it came time for his father Isaac to pass away, 
Jacob slides in, puts on the fur of a killed goat to make his dad think it's Harry coming up to talk to him. And he basically has Isaac bless him with the inheritance that was deserving Esau. When Esau finds out about it, Esau says, what have you done? You have surely lived up to your name. He was named con man when he was born, and he's already conning people at a young age. So he gets on the run. He runs away. Even though he has this blessing, he runs away because Esau's trying to kill him. He goes off to a foreign land to find a wife. He, he finds Rachel, the woman that he loves, which is his cousin, which is a whole other story of, of Maury Povich. Finds Rachel. She's beautiful. She's your cousin. Find somebody else. Goes off to the family reunion, picks a wife, tells her dad, I'll do anything for her. He says, work free for me for seven years. He works free for seven years. Then he says, you can take my daughter, Rachel, as your wife. So they have the whole wedding ceremony that night for the honeymoon. They consummate their marriage. He wakes up the next morning, only to look over. It ain't Rachel. It's her ugly sister. Like, I don't know what kind of party they had for reception, but it was a little too much. He goes to Laban, he said, what have you done? I've worked for you for seven years for Rachel. You give me Leah. He says, okay, if you work another seven years, then I'll give you Rachel too. He says, deal. He works another seven years. How do you think Leah feels? Works another seven years and then he gets Rachel. Now he has Rachel and Leah. Whew. This is just, ladies, just close your ears for a second. Guys, could you imagine? the marriage counseling. Not just one wife, but two wives. And the one wife that you married first, you already told her she's ugly. Now, you gotta, now he's dealing with all this. So now he's wanting to go away and start his own family away from Laban, obviously. Because what happens when, when you live your life through deception, you end up being deceived yourself. And he lived his whole life on deception. Now he's getting deceived himself. So he says, well, just let us go and start our own thing. He says, okay, you can't take anything. Then he talks them into being able to take the spotted lambs, the defiled lambs, the, the hurt lambs. And then he cons this whole scheme in order to take more than he deserved. So he ends up taking more than he deserved. He's conning Laban back after Laban conned him. You think you have family problems. He takes off. Now he has two people chasing him. He has Esau who's still trying to kill him for stealing his birthright. Now he has Laban trying to kill him for stealing all his possessions and two of his daughters. And so his name, Jacob Conniver, is starting to catch up with him. He's living out his name. And it's at this moment, he's running from Laban. He's running from Esau because Esau's getting close. He finds himself all alone with God. And God says, what is your name? What is your name? How, how, how do you identify yourself? And he says, I am Jacob. See, that blank, when you say I am blank, whatever you fill in that blank is the most powerful thing about you. Stephen Furtick calls it the power of the third word, meaning I am blank. I am broken. I am poor. 
I am a con man. I am ashamed. I am anxious. I am fearful. I am afraid. I am, I am guilty. I am worried. Or I am saved by grace. I am a disciple of Christ. I am a son of God. I am full of joy. I am full of hope. I have peace. Whatever you put in that blank determines the direction of your life. For your identity reveals your destiny. And if we want to be really honest, most of us fill in that blank with a bunch of negative stuff that God never said about you. You talk like a turkey. I've always been afraid. My mama was afraid. My daddy was afraid. We're always going to be afraid. I've always been poor. My mama was poor. My daddy was poor. We're always going to be. See, the power of the third word is what determines the direction of your life. God says, what's your name, boy? I am Jacob. Take the word Jacob. I am the deceiver. I am the con man. I am the heel supplanter. I am my past. I am my failures. I am my shame. I am my guilt. I am my worry. I am on the run. See, that power of the third word has the potential to take you into your destiny or rob your destiny from you. Mark Driscoll said there's, there's identity idols, and he uses this acronym I-D-O-L-S, idols. These are, these are the ways that most of us in our culture fill in that third word. Idol, I, means items. Like especially in our culture, we identify ourselves with the items we can buy. The clothes we pick out to buy, or our cars, our houses. Like that's how we show people our public image of who we want to be. And what's bad about that is we usually pick those items based off of marketing that commercials tell us we should buy. It's ironic because they tell us things, well, if you have this, you'll be happy. If you own this type of car, you'll now be successful. If you have this, then you'll be full of joy. If you have this, you'll be secure. Which, you know what's crazy? That's the same thing Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan told them, well, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you'll be just like God. I Meaning if you do this, then you can become. The problem with that is Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. They were already like God. So by them eating the tree, it actually took them in the other direction. That's what marketing does to us. It robs us of our destiny because it gives us a facade of something that's fake. Even if you look at the halftime show of the Super Bowl, I just read this this morning. I don't have a stance on what the world does because I'm not concerned with what the world does. People say, I can't believe J-Lo and Shakira, Shakita, whatever her name is, up there dancing like that. That's crazy. You know what? I'm more concerned with the church acting crazy than I am the world. The world is already crazy. Church people are probably crazier. But you know what I read this morning? That as soon as the halftime show is over, that searches for Shakira on Pornhub we're up 1,400%. The searches for JLo was up 381%. So you cannot tell me that when you objectify women who find their identity in their sexual beauty and promiscuity does not affect the commercialization of sex in our culture. They're telling us, if you have this, 
then you're valuable. If you have this, then you're a man. And it feeds our sex trafficking. So I'm about sick and tired of mainstream media and culture telling us sex trafficking is bad. Hashtag me too. If hashtag me too is bad, then we need to get it off the screen. Because it's telling our young boys, it's telling our men, it's telling our women, all these false things. If you look like this, then you're beautiful. Husbands, you know what's beautiful? Your wife. Nowhere in scripture does God say, this is the standard of beauty. Your wife determines the standard of beauty. If you're married to your wife, then J-Lo should look like your wife in order to be beautiful. Your wife should not have to look like J-Lo in order to be beautiful. See, we bought into the, if you have this, see, that's idols. That's identity crisis. Then D is your duties, your responsibilities, your titles, your achievements, your bank account, what you do for a living. Ministers, pastors deal with this worse than anybody. They think, well, my identity is in my ministry or my success or in my titles. Mothers, if your identity is in your duty as a mother, at some point it changes. The O in others, meaning some of us get our identity in other people. That's why some people go from relationship to relationship to relationship. Why? They find their identity in other people. Some of you, it's your kids. You're living vicariously through your kids. You couldn't make it in sports, so now you're pushing your kids to make it in sports. I'm sorry, but your kids have your DNA. Like, like we, we, we put so much on other people in order to fulfill us and our identity because we feel like a turkey. We're trying to make other people feel like an eagle so we can ride their coattails. L is longings, meaning things like, well, once I get that promotion, then I'll be content. Once I move into my dream house or, or once I get married, then I'll be happy. And your identity is now based on something in the future that you have not experienced yet. S is your sufferings, your failures, your mistakes, meaning I am sick or, or I am a cancer survivor or I am homosexual or I am this. And you start identifying with your struggle instead of your victory. And see, these identities is what Jacob was dealing with when God says, what is your identity? Where do you want to start at? I failed my brother. I stole my brother's birthright. I failed my father. I failed my wife. I failed my other wife. I robbed my father-in-law. I'm running from the, and he could just go on and on and on. And God says, woo, just slow down. See, before you can move into your destiny, you have to realize who you are. Because that third word, that third word, we tend to live up to how we identify ourselves. So if you feel like you're going to be broke, you're probably going to be broke. If you feel like you're a turkey, you're probably going to live like a turkey. If you feel like you're an eagle, you're probably going to live like an eagle. That's why the prophetic word is so profound. It encourages you into who you're supposed to be. It doesn't deal with what you've done in the past. Like you'll never find a prophecy that deals with your past. They all deal with your future. And see, these third words tend to be self-fulfilling prophecies. Whatever you put in that blank tends to be a self-fulfilling fulfilling prophecy. If you want to change the direction of your life, change what comes out of your mouth. 
God, before he gives the promise back to Jacob, he fixes his mouth and says, you're not Jacob, you are now Israel. Change what you say about yourself and change where you go. Some of you need to be reminded that you are speaking to the destiny of your life. Some of you are speaking to your hopes, to your dreams, but some of you are feeding your failures and your mistakes. And I feel like when they're wrestling, basically God tells Jacob, watch your mouth. What's your name? Jacob, watch your mouth. No longer say, see, then number two is this. You have to learn that old identities die hard. You have to wrestle them away. You've had the same idea. Jacob had the same name his entire life. God just can't tell him, hey, you might want to stop saying that. He had to wrestle that identity out of him. See, that identity crisis is when you start to struggle between who you feel like you are and who you believe God has created you to be. And it creates this tension, this crisis of I'm living like a turkey, but I feel like I'm supposed to soar. I'm eating grubs and ants and worms out of cow patties, but I should be eating a nice big steak right now. Like there's this tension that develops and that tension is good because that tension is when God is starting to work on you and wrestle that identity away from you because God gets frustrated when his children are identified by anything other than his child. He's frustrated. He gets messed up and he says, I'm going to wrestle with him. Good old WWE. God shows it. What's your name? He says, Jacob. He says, no, no, no. You're my child, and only I have the ability to name you. I don't care what your father called you. I don't care what your mother called you. I don't care what your best friend called you. I don't care what your ex-wife called you. He said, I created you. I have the authority to name you, and only me. He said, this is your earthly name. See, when I was growing up, I had all types of nicknames. Bob G. Thug was one of them. Gore-Tex, like we had a basketball coach my freshman year. He would just, he was drunk half the day. He'd just make up whatever he wanted to say. And the G-Thug thing stuck. And even after I graduated high school, it's still there. And what I realized, I started living up to my nickname. But you know what? He didn't have a right to name me. God had a right to name me. And when I start leaning towards what other people call me, I'm letting them speak towards my destiny rather than God. And I don't know if you know this, but people have a destiny for you just like God does. And the reason they start naming you things and calling you things is because they want your destiny to go this way because they're going that way. And if they're going backward, they want you to go backward. God is trying to call you up and call you into what he's called you to be and call you up towards your destiny. That's why he has to change your name in order to do it. And they're wrestling. God is trying to wrestle this out of Jacob. And what I love about this, see, wrestling is, is intimate. I read a book years ago when RJ was born, I had three girls and then I had a boy. I thought to myself, like, like how, do you, how do you do this? Like one, this dude is crazy. And I read a book called Whisker Rubs. And the whole book is on this whole concept of how young boys are designed to wrestle with their dads. And it said when boys learn to wrestle with their dads, they learn lots of things. They learn boundaries, how far they can push something. 
They learn their power. They learn authority. But they also learn intimacy from man to man. And that's why it's called whisker rubs. There's whiskers rubbing against their face that you can use a sandpaper if you're catching them just right to wear them down quickly. And it said because men don't understand how to have intimacy because they don't wrestle with their dads anymore. Therefore, homosexuality increases. Therefore, pornography increases because men don't understand intimacy. It's not sexual. It's proximity. It's closeness. And so when Jacob begins to wrestle with God, I feel like it was God saying, I know who you are, Jacob. He asked his name. God didn't need to ask his name. He's needing Jacob to realize his name is wrong. And he begins to wrestle with him. And as he wrestles with him, you see God stepping. Jacob wasn't pursuing God. God was pursuing Jacob. God showed up in Jacob's weak moment. And when he shows up, he begins to wrestle with him to demonstrate to Jacob, I don't care who other people say you are. I don't care about your failures. I don't care about your mistake. I don't care that you're a conman. I don't care that you're guilty. I don't care that you're ashamed. And he demonstrates this proximity that God wants to have with his people, regardless of what they've been through. And he begins to show his gentleness, his care, his tenderness, his love, and the intimacy he wants to have with Jacob. And it's in that moment of wrestling that Jacob understands how much God loves him. See, fathers should wrestle with their kids. That's where they learn those boundaries. But it's also where your son learns that you can still put the smack down on him if you want to. <laughs> and Jacob needs to realize, Jacob, you've been conning everybody, and you can con everybody but me. And see, I feel like this is a cultural thing for me. I feel like we've gotten away from wrestling with God. In our piety, in our religion, we just quit wrestling with God. And I think one of the reasons for that is we've stopped wrestling with truth and started fighting for opinions. You look at politics. No one's wrestling for the truth anymore. No one's wrestling to find out what's true. Everyone's just fighting for their opinions. And so the problem with that is when you wrestle with truth, truth will always win. But when you fight for your opinion, you'll never see the truth. And in doing so, since we don't wrestle with truth with God anymore, we don't read his word and say, I don't understand this. We just blanket in our old Christianese, just take it at whatever it says. And since we take it at whatever it says, we never actually apply it. But when you learn to wrestle with truth, like when you read the Bible, it should be a wrestling match between what you think and what God thinks. Like when you read God's word, see, I had somebody, I posted this years ago and somebody said, I said, many times doubt is the precursor to faith. Meaning when I'm, when I'm doubting something and I read God's word and I can't understand it, what God is doing, he's wrestling my opinion out of me and he starts bringing truth to the surface. And some religious people said, no, 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 doubt does not lead to faith. Doubt is the opposite of faith. You cannot find that in the Bible. And what that is, religious people trying to indoctrinate people to believe what they believe instead of finding the truth of what God says. And I'm sick and tired of people beating people up with opinions rather than letting us wrestle with truth. Every single major hero in the Bible dealt with doubt. And they wrestled with God until truth won out. Even the kid, he said, heal my son, heal my daughter who's epileptic. And Jesus says, okay, I can. He said, if I can. He said, surely I can. And the person said, 
I believe, help my unbelief. Meaning I believe, but I'm still struggling. See, there's some tension that wrestling with the truth is what brings out the truth out of you. So when you pray, it shouldn't be, Lord, bless this new burns so it doesn't clog up my arteries. It should be this wrestling of your will and God's will. See, prayer is not just about giving God what you want. It's about going into prayer and saying, God, here's what I want, but not my will, your will be done. And then wrestling between those two. That is prayer. You should sweat when you come out of prayer. When you read the Bible, you should sweat because you realize God is saying, whoa, whoa, you're not a turkey. You're an eagle. Well, God, I, I feel like a turkey. Like I failed here. I, I failed in this way. God, I feel like a failure. And God said, no, 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 you're not a turkey. You're an eagle. And there's this wrestling match that ensues. See, some of you need to learn to wrestle with God. Get rid of the religious mask. Get rid of the Sunday school dogma and learn to wrestle with your father so you can wrestle away your false opinions, your false identity, your fake religion, and bring out the Israel out of your soul. You gotta learn to wrestle. You gotta learn to wrestle. And here's your pastor, I'm gonna tell you, it's okay to wrestle. It's okay to wrestle with doubt. It's okay to wrestle with truth. It's okay if you don't believe every word I say. Go home and wrestle with God about it. Wrestle with the truth. As you wrestle, you'll discover, you'll discover the truth of who God is. Old identities die hard. You have to wrestle them away. Number three, he discovered his identity when he realized he had to surrender in order to win. He said, bless me, bless me, bless me. See, we discover our true identity in Christ when we come to the end of ourselves. He's wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. It's getting towards the end of the night. He says, just bless me. He said, I can't bless you when you have your old name. See, if I bless you in your old name, you'll keep living the same way. But if I give you a new name and a new identity and I bless you, it'll change the course of your life. See, until you come, Jacob for his entire life had tried to plan it out. He tried to scheme it out. He tried to deceive everybody. He'd made his own way. Finally, he finds himself by himself all alone at the end of himself. And when you find yourself at the end of yourself, that's when God can finally start remaking you. In the Bible, you see many times when God gives a new promise, when God changes a destiny, when God changes a life, he gives a new name. Abram and Sarah. He gives them promise, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he changes his name to Abraham and Sarah. So with a new identity comes a new destiny. Jacob, I'm changing your name from Jacob to Israel. Saul, I'm changing your name from Saul the persecutor to Paul the apostle. See, that identity changes. And when they discover who they are in Christ, it changes everything else about them. It's almost like they're tapping out. Jacob was wrestling with God. And God finally lays him down and says, Jacob, your whole life you've been running. Your whole life you've been ashamed. Your whole life you've been a liar. And it's like God's holding him down and Jacob's confessing it. He says, do you finally realize you cannot do this anymore? And it's like Jacob just starts tapping out. When he taps out, it's like saying uncle when you're wrestling. Say uncle. He finally says, uncle. We say, I surrender. God says, get up. Now, now I can change it. Now you're no longer Jacob. Now you're Israel. You know the difference? 
Jacob meaning deceiver, a con man, meaning he'd always tried to fight his own way through. Israel means God fights or God fights for me. So the change that happened was not just his name. It was Jacob, no longer do you have to fight for yourself. Now I fight for you. No longer do you have to make a way. Now I make a way. He's saying, now I am your way. He changed his name because he changed his identity. Some of you are still Jacob. Some of you are still trying to make your own way or, or try to fight for your own identity or build your own name. And God's saying, just stop fighting. Let me wrestle that out of you. Let me give you a new name. See, our blessing is in our weakness, not our strength. Our destiny is in our weakness, not our strength. Your identity is in him, not yourself. See, we are identified not by our sin, not by our failures, not by our mistakes, but by God who fights for us. We are not identified by our sin. We are identified by our Savior. See, your identity is going to be placed somewhere. What are you filling in the third word with? I am afraid. I am sinful. I am ashamed. I am guilty. I am abused. Or I am in Christ. Over 35 times in the New Testament, Paul says in Christ, and there's a promise attached. In Christ, not in my past, not in my failures, but in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one of my favorite scriptures. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old is what? Passed away. Behold, the new has come. If he's in Christ, you're no longer Jacob, you're now Israel. You're no longer a turkey, you're now eagle. Some of you know you're not called to be walking along the ground. You're called the sore. But you've been walking around for too long. In the wrestling match, needs to sue. RJ, come up here. See, since we're afraid to wrestle with truth, we let our opinions win. And so just like, turn around this way. You're a good-looking boy. You know that? You get it from your daddy. <laughs> See, how we identify ourselves, I am blank. That tells us where we're going in life. That is our third word. But wrestling is hard. So if, if Jacob was insecure, what was happening when they're wrestling, God's trying to take this label off and take it off. It takes work to wrestle off those labels. It takes work to wrestle off that identity. And the wrestling match may take you two years, three years, four years, five years, but you got to keep on going. Then he was what? Lonely. He had one wife. He had two wives. He had all that. And he was still lonely. Meaning the next relationship's not going to cure your loneliness. And God said, we got to rip that off. Take that off. He had to wrestle that off of him. Take it off. <laughs> you know how many times I sit in counseling with people and I see the labels all over them. And I try to wrestle it off of them, but they're wrestling to keep it. I'm trying to take it. No, that's not who you are. Here's who Christ says you are. And they give you 101 reasons why they are who they are. They make excuses. Well, when I was younger, this happened. I don't care what happened in the past. God didn't even address Jacob's past in the scripture. He didn't ask him about the past or excuses. He just said, I don't care what happened. Here's who you are now. And when he wrestled off, then he's what? Ashamed. <laughs> it takes work. Why? It's painful. 
It's painful to rip off those wounds, to get to the place where I am made new. See, at the bottom, at the most basic level of who you are, at your spirit level, the moment you are saved, your spirit is made new. Like you are made a new creation in Christ. You are an eagle, not a turkey. But there's all these layers of junk on top of you. And you're going to have to wrestle through some pain, some insecurities, some shame, some fears, some, some personal problems to get to that root, to discover who you truly are in Christ. And when you discover that, that God sees straight through all the junk. He sees right through your insecurities. He sees right through your shame. And he sees you just like this. When you discover and you start to see yourself the way God sees you, it changes everything. It changes your confidence. It changes your assurance of salvation. It changes your destiny. It changes your identity. It changes everything. But it takes a wrestling match to get there. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. She asked one quick question today. A prayer all week leading up to this was God break the Jacob off every person in this room. Allow for Israel to rise up, meaning not let them be identified by their past anymore. Let their identity in Christ be the way they see themselves. Let them begin to fill in that third word, I am blank. Let them start filling that in with everything that Jesus is. Because in order for us to really discover who we are, we have to discover who we are not. And as we unpack this in the next few weeks, we're going to dig into who you are in Christ, who he says you are, the names he calls you by in heaven. But in order to get there, you have to start wrestling some things away. For some of you, you've never had that encounter where you actually wrestle with God. And you're like, Jacob, you're still running. You're trying to run faster and farther. Every time you get to a new location, you find, you know who is following you? Yourself, your past, your guilt, your shame, your insecurity. And it's going to keep on following until you finally get alone with God and you allow for God to wrestle those things away from you. So he can give you a new identity. One that says, God fights for me. I no longer have to fight myself. God fights for me. That's you. You say, you know what? I feel like I'm, I'm still Jacob. When I fill in that third word, I fill it in with all types of things. Fear and worry and shame and guilt and sin, abuse and pain. And right now, I just want God to begin to wrestle these things away from me. And I'll tell you what that takes. One, it takes confession, just like Jacob did. He confessed who he was. It's going to take you confessing that you are broken, you are hopeless, and you are sinful without Jesus. And the moment you say that, Jesus is going to step into your life. He's going to start changing you from the inside out. Just like 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, you are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away, and a new thing is born. And then we'll begin walking out together, discipleship, walking out together who God has made you to be. Start peeling off layers of pain and shame and guilt so we can see ourselves the way God sees us. That's you. So you know what? I want today to be my day where I stop living like Jacob and I start becoming Israel.
I start, I start living like who God wants me to be instead of identifying myself on my past. If that's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed for a moment. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just a moment. Father, we thank you for your word that is truth. And for you as a father who is not happy to stay far away, but you want to draw near to us, even in our brokenness and our shame and our guilt and our running, that you step out of heaven onto earth to wrestle with us, to show us that you want to draw near to us, you want to be close to us, and to wrestle away from us our past insecurities, our past shame, our past fears, so you can wrestle off those layers and let us see who we are in you, to see ourselves correctly the way you see us, as a new creation in Christ, as your son Jesus, with his righteousness, with his love, with his hope, with his perfection. So Father, for every person that raised their hand, I begin for this wrestling to ensue. Father, as you make them new on the inside, help them start peeling off the layers from the outside. And Father, let them start to soar into their destiny rather than wander around the world looking for their identity. Let them find it in you. And so Father, we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If I can have the, the prayer team come down front real quick. We're going to go in just a, two quick minutes of worship. So if you would stand to your feet all over the room. And this is how we're going to close service out. But if you need prayer for anything, our prayer partners down here to pray for you, to encourage you, to agree with you in prayer, whatever that may be, for sickness, decisions, wisdom, etc. We just want to love on you. We want to be a family that prays together. We don't want to be a church service you come to. And so if you need prayer for anything, you can come down during this worship or right after service ends. Father, we bless you in this place. And we thank you that you are our God, our Father. And we thank you, Father, we don't have to fix up our past lives. We get a new life in you. And we bless you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.